0: Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, Grassman, Sasquatch. Just a few of the names given to the primate-like creature said to roam the woods and remote areas of North America. Tales of this elusive being go back for hundreds of years. Is it mere myth and legend? Or is there truly something more tangible to this phenomenon? Join us on this journey as we discuss the science behind the encounters, the research and the evidence, keeping you updated on the latest findings, ideas and hypothesis. Arrogance gets us nowhere and closing one's eyes doesn't make things disappear, nor less real. Today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. It's time to make this subject matter less taboo. Welcome to X Radio. Bigfoot without the BS.
1: Okay, everybody, welcome to a special edition of On the Shoulders of Giants, talking old-timers with Thomas, and that would be the one, the only, Thomas Steenberg. How are you, Thomas?
2: I'm not getting any younger, Julie, but today's your 20th show, and uh, I guess we're going to do something special today.
1: Yes, we are. I can't believe it's been almost two years now um, since we started this journey and like Thomas just said, this is our 20th episode, and we have a, a very, very special guest with us. And we're just so excited to have him. I wanted to give a big shout-out to Russ Accord for making the arrangements um, to do this show. Russ, if you're out there, thank you so much. We appreciate it so much. Um, and let me introduce to you guys somebody that um, I think is very dignified and, and graceful for giving us his time as well, and that is Bob Gimlin. Bob Gimlin is in the house.
3: Yes, sir. How are you? Fine, thank you.
1: Good. So, Thomas, you know Bob on a personal level. You guys are friends,
2: Yes, Bob and I have been friends for quite a few years now, and Bob, I just want to let you know when Julie says "talking old timers" with Thomas, she's not really referring to your age, son. He only, she only means that when she's referring to me.
1: <laughs> no,
3: no, 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 no. She means it when she's referring to me, Thomas, because uh, I, I, I'm older than dirt, but I can remember every damn thing.
1: Awesome. Now, it's really nice to have two of the last remaining, um, what I like to call the Squatch Fathers, and that would be the group that everybody, you know, the, and when this all got started, uh, Thomas was there, Bob was there, so it's very exciting to have you two together on the show. So, Thomas, I'm going to let you go ahead and, um, you know, go ahead and talk to to Bob and uh, throw out there some questions to them, and uh, we're, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this.
2: Roger that, Julie. Oh, okay. Bob, my friend, I just wanted yes, to start sir. off. If you could uh, sort of uh, first say, uh, in all the years, and I've asked you this question once before, and I don't know if you remember it, but in all the years that have gone by and all you've gone through, since that fateful day on October 20th, 1967, is there ever a time when you regret saying those immortal words, Sure, Roger, I'll go to California with you?
3: Many, many <laughs> times, Thomas. Many times. <laughs> I'm sure you have. I'm sure you
2: have. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> yes,
2: sir. <laughs> now as i recall you guys at the time got a sort of a message from john green telling you that something had happened down in northern california and uh, you, you and i believe it was the late john green who asked you to come down you and roger to come down right away or was it just roger he asked and roger asked you to come along
3: well It was just Roger, and Roger asked me to take him down there. That's right. Everything was on your dime, wasn't it? Your money,
2: your cars, your vehicles, your horses. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it was exactly. That's exactly how it was. Uh, and, uh, And you guys ended up going down there and spending about, oh, I'd say close to three weeks in the general area before that fateful morning. Is that correct? Yes,
3: sir. That is very correct.
2: And I was wondering, Bob, you could just sort of go through the scenario for our listeners here about that morning and your uh, who did what and how you guys started off that day. I know you've told this a million times because you've told it to me at least a hundred well, times. Well, Yes. <laughs> but if you could show go <laughs> yeah, through the so, scenario As to what happened When you woke up and found Roger Washing himself in the creek
3: Well Yeah you know I uh, I got up a little earlier than Roger And uh Always did get up a little earlier Than Roger and uh Saddled my horse and rode off Up the Rode off up the creek bed there A ways and uh uh I was gone for all oh, probably an hour, hour and a half. I don't know remember the exact amount of time, but it was a while cuz I rode quite a few miles and uh uh when I come back uh Roger Roger uh, he had saddled his horse and went went the other way. And so uh uh he rode in and uh I, so we had some breakfast or whatever we had to eat. I think it was probably just bananas uh, because Roger was heavy on his bananas. And mm-hmm. uh, and what, whatever I had to eat was, uh, I never did eat a whole lot anyway, so it didn't matter much. But anyway, we talked about what we was going to do that day and uh, and uh, the directions that we were going to travel and uh and what to do Because we'd already been down there for 20 days And uh, uh, I was kind of getting a little fatigued Of, of what was happening Because uh, See we'd been called down there For three different sizes of footprints In the, in the soil Around a, a tank That was put in there on a Friday afternoon Before Labor Day weekend And uh, When they come back on a Tuesday uh, there was big tracks all around this piece of equipment that they. Uh, it was a. It was. It was a fuel tank that they set in there uh, to refuel the cats and the road graders and stuff. The equipment that they were using up there trying to build some roads across the top of the mountain, and uh, so these different sizes of footprints was the reason I went down there. Uh, Because they called Roger And uh, told him that there was Footprints around it Well by the time we got down there It had rained And there had been so many people uh, Talked about it That there was human tracks All around it And there was really nothing uh, Much that you could identify As good tracks So we decided to stay down there and ride and just cover some miles and see if we could recover some more tracks or any evidence that we could come up with. And so on the 20th day of October 1967, we were riding up the creek bed, and we were about four and a half miles away from where we camped and come around a bend in the creek, where there was a big downfall root system uh, where, the, where the creek washed itself around it And uh, as we come around that bend in the creek One was standing on the other side of the creek And that's the famous footage that you see Or have seen for years Now you were
2: riding a full-size horse Roger was riding a rather small horse Correct?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, Roger was riding, uh, it wasn't a POA, it was a small quarter horse, and I was riding a big old rope horse, a big, big horse, 16-hand horse. And, and Roger's little horse was probably 13-3 or 13-4, uh, but he was a little quarter horse, kind of uh, crossbred quarter horse and something else, pony, I guess.
2: Right? and there was a white pack
3: horse as well. And yeah, a little, a little pony pack horse.
0: Correct.
2: And uh, at times, Roger, during this, would hand the camera off to you, and you would film him.
3: And, yes, uh, absolutely.
2: Yeah, and well, uh, other we were-
3: times. And other times, well, other time, well, Roger just say, hey, what it was it was the fall colors. Uh, everything was so bright colored, you know, uh, the foliage was colored good. And, and he'd say, take some pictures of, of all this, Bob. And we were just riding along the creek bed there, and uh, uh, I'd take a few pictures and
0: hand him back.
3: I didn't really, wasn't real familiar with the camera. But he'd wind it up and say, "Take some pictures of me and riding along here and and the and the fall colors of the foliage." And and uh, so then I'd hand him back the camera and uh, he'd put it in his saddlebag and uh, we would ride on a ways and and we come around uh, uh, this bend in the creek and uh, Roger was ahead of me about two two or three horse lengths and. One was standing on the other side of the creek. Uh, and, and so Roger's horse just kind of really threw a fit, jumping around. And and he finally got the camera out of the saddlebag and got off and started filming it. Uh, but uh, the ho- horse I was riding acted up some, but I stayed on him and, and held him. And he, he was an old rope horse, so he was a little more... Uh, easier to handle uh, than Roger's horse, but Roger had already got off his horse by that time and was running across uh, uh, or, or with a film where he was filming, and uh, then he just followed it and then he went away, and and he realized he had to relocate to get a better picture, so he said, uh, "Hey Bob." Uh, uh, Right across the creek and Well he didn't say right across the creek He just said cover me Well we had rifles with us And uh, uh, I rode across the creek And stepped down off my horse And had a uh, snap in the back of my belt With a, with a lead rope that Went up to the halter And snapped that in and, uh, and I just stood there And watched the thing as it walked away and uh, Roger hollered at me and says, uh, I, I ran out of film, Bob. And I said, oh, my God. And I said, well, I want to follow it. So I got back up on the horse, and uh, and he said, no, don't, don't, don't leave me here. He said, my horse is gone, and I'm out of film. Uh, so he said, help me catch my horse up and get some more film in the camera, and then we'll follow it, which way it went. I said, okay. So it took a little while to get that done. And uh, then we went up the same canyon that the the creature went up. And about a mile or so up there, we uh, saw where there was a half of a wet footprint on a big flat rock. And then it went right on up through the cliffs. And uh, I knew that I could climb up through there pretty good. Couldn't take a horse up through there. it was way too steep. And so uh, Roger said, well no, we got to get back and get some pictures of the foot, the foot uh, of the cast on the cast the footprints and stuff and it's getting late in the afternoon. It was about 2:30 or three o'clock the time we were at this time, and so he said, uh, uh, let's go back and get that all done, and then we can uh, follow up on what happens after that. And so uh, we went back and, and made some casts and did some filming of the track uh, way where I jumped off and uh, got up on a stump and jumped off with a cowboy boot heel and to see how deep the impression would be into the same soil, as close to the track as I could. And with a cowboy boot on and riding heel, I couldn't go down. I couldn't make a deep impression as the footprint was. Now, when Roger yelled, cover me, you drew your rifle, but you you did you aim at it or not? No, no, I never did raise the rifle up. In fact, I never did crank a a shell into the chamber. I just held it there in in case it turned around and come after me. But it never did turn around. It just kept walking away.
2: Okay. Now, and other times I've heard people repeat this story. You always know that little changes get made. I just want to hear from you. Did you actually dismount and remount, or did you stay on the horse the whole time?
3: No, I got off the horse. I got off the horse because I knew if I had to shoot, I I couldn't shoot uh, accurate on the horse.
2: And you remounted after the creature had moved off in order to follow it?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, I wanted to follow it.
2: Correct.
3: And and how far did
2: you follow it before Roger called you back?
3: Well, it wasn't very far. Well, uh, it wasn't very far at all because this thing kind of moved in a a moon-shaped area because because of the mountain on the other side. It, it, It would have had to went up on the mountain and back down again. Roger that. So, really, you, uh, neither you or nor Roger, actually left the film
2: site after this happened.
3: Oh, what was that again, Thomas?
2: You guys, neither one of you, actually left the film site after the creature when this happened. You stayed there.
3: Well, we stayed there until we got through filming and, and, and casting the tracks. And, Roger and that.
2: Then we... That's what I was trying to clarify. You see... Uh, other people repeating your story over the years tend to throw little details in that uh, are later on proven to be untrue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's, uh, there's some, I've heard it, other people say you aimed at it, I've I even heard one person say you took a shot at it, i even heard another person say you wanted to ride up, you went riding up the mountainside. And I've known you for so long, and I knew none of that was true. I just wanted you to clarify that for the listener.
3: No, I never did raise the rifle to the shoulders. Mm-hmm. I never did even crank a, I never did crank a bullet into the chamber uh, because I was just waiting to see what was going to happen, and it just kept walking away, and so there was no need to get serious about shooting or anything.
2: Roger that. Now, uh, in the best of your memory, just describe the subject for our listeners. Like, what did you see with the naked eye?
3: Well, uh, a big, hairy, covered creature. And what color was it? It was dark brown. And I never realized that it was a female until actually I saw it and and they said, well, it's got mammary glands. Well, uh, I never, it all happened so dramatically fast that I could see everything, and but I just figured that this big thing that big would have a chest on it. And so, uh, but, you know, when you're looking at something, really fast and trying to cover everything and get everything for sight, it's pretty hard to take an overall picture and say those were mammary glands.
2: Absolutely. This is sort of like a 60-second time frame that it sort of like dominates your life ever since, hasn't it?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
3: absolutely, Thomas. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so uh, I can remember the looks of the how it went and the, everything. But, you know, uh, there's a certain amount of things that, that just didn't register with me at the time.
2: I understand that because you only have a few moments. See, I always thought you're the one that had the good look at it. Roger had to look through that horrible camera lens.
3: <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's why yeah. I always said, uh, I always maintain that I seen more than Roger did. Uh, well, I think I did, because Roger and I compared notes afterwards, and that night uh, uh, laid there and talked about it until we went to sleep. But uh, yeah, I actually seen more than Roger did, uh, and and remembered more about it, because he was cranking the camera and moving around. From one location to the other To get a better picture
2: Okay And uh, after You were guys were looking at the tracks I believe Roger cast Two of them
3: Well I can't I can't remember how many Seems to me like he cast more than two But maybe they didn't Turn out as good uh, And he, maybe only two of them Turned out pretty good because yes, know, it was it was always my understanding
2: he cast two and it was uh the late uh, Bob Titmus who went down there nine days later and cast ten of them in a row because they were still there. Oh okay. most weather
3: damaged a bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. I remember that Bob Titmus went down there and did some work. hmm Now well, by the time well, all
2: this came to an end, you actually went back out when it started to rain the next morning and covered them up, didn't you?
3: Absolutely. When it started raining, I realized that I had to get back up there. And so I went and put the saddle on my horse and rode up there. And I pulled bark off some dead trees and, and covered as many tracks as I could get covered up before they got washed away. And I guess it was a good thing that I did that. I wasn't even... I was thinking... See, Roger was called the guys in Canada to bring the dogs down. Uh, some guy up in Canada, I can't remember his name, had track dogs that would track anything. And uh, he, uh, it rained so hard that we called him, but they they flew down there, but they couldn't get landed uh, with the dogs uh, at the little airport, so they had to go on over to Wairika or somewhere or it was a bigger airport uh, to get get landing because of mudslides and stuff that uh, occurred after that rain. And so uh, I, I never did really talk to the guys that brought the dogs down, but uh, by the time they could get in there to where the tracks were, the dogs would not track them. Uh, they just walk out of ways and whine and come back and, and just, just didn't, wasn't interested or or wasn't interested or were afraid or something.
2: And you guys had a hell of a time getting out of there when that rain started to come down, didn't you?
3: Oh, it was a nightmare. It took me all day. Uh, when I got across the creek and started up the mountain, I was sliding back. I'd loaded the horses up. And I was sliding back faster than I was going forward. So the back end of the truck, the ramp that lowers, lets the horses down, slid up against a tree. And uh, I couldn't go forward, couldn't back up, couldn't do and couldn't drop, couldn't let the horses out because the gate that let them out was up against a tree. And so I ran up the side of the mountain and... And I I remembered a backhoe Setting up there And I uh, Got it started up With the smoke just of rolling out of it And put a bunch of rocks in the bucket And Went back down and hooked onto the truck With a chain And told Roger Keep that truck in low gear And help me as much As you possibly can This was a four wheel drive Backhoe So I had it in four-wheel drive, and I towed him uh, about two miles up the side of Onion Mountain. When I got to the top, I, I unhooked from him and went across. This was right was going across on that new road, and uh, I thought, well, I was having a hard time driving, uh, or it was just lugging way down. And I told Roger, I said, step out there. And see if I've got a flat tire on the outside duel. Roger stepped out and he stepped back in. He was goes white, and he said, "Bob, don't even start to slow down." He said, "The whole mountain sliding away, is that dual oh my. hitting it, hitting that dirt and sliding on down the mountain." He said, and I just kept, I kept on going until the foreboard was so hot I couldn't even put my foot on where the transmission was. And uh went ahead and got on out of there. Uh and uh took me all day to make that trip, those uh five or six miles.
1: Wow.
2: And you finally made it back into Willow Creek where you all talked with Al Hodgin for a little while, right?
3: Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And Roger and... made some phone call uh made some phone calls to some some different people that, that he knew, you know. Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, then you went to the airfield to airship the film to uh, the late Aldeia. Aldeia, Aldeia, mm-hmm. yes, yes,
3: yes. Was that, do then, you remember, was that
2: Murray's Field where you airship that from? I don't remember. Okay, okay. Now, and then you drove all the way back. Piakama for the first showing of the film at Aldi Atlee's home, and you didn't yes. intend. Was basically you did all the
3: driving, and you were exhausted. I was exhausted, so I was asleep, and when they got when they first showed the film, and so uh, I had slept. Uh, I dr- I drove all the way, and uh, uh, only thing I'd do is when I'd stop to get gas, I'd get water for the horses. And Rogers said over there, sound asleep. Uh, And uh, uh, so when we got back to Yakima, they wondered how come I wasn't there to see the film uh, the first day. Mm -hmm. I I was tired. I was was just beat, you know. And so when I finally did show up to see the film, I said, Well, that film isn't. I I, I saw more than that. And uh, uh, so I I wasn't a bit impressed with the film footage. Uh, Just to clarify, Uh, Bob,
2: when was it that you yourself first saw the film?
3: What was that again, Thomas?
2: When was it that you actually first saw the film? The next day. Okay, after the first showing. Roger that. So you went there and they had...
3: Well, you know, John Green and Renee Duhannon had already got down there from Canada to see yeah. it before I saw
2: it. Roger that. And it was the next day you saw it for the first time? Yes. Excellent. Okay. And uh, just and to I point out the- to listeners once again that it, this was all on your dime, your gas, your truck, your horses, your time. <laughs> yes. yes. Right. It, was.
3: it absolutely <laughs> it absolutely was and, and and you know I should not say this about Roger Because he's gone now But that little son of a gun He said well If you're going to drive back to Yakima Bobby said I'll spell you off Well he sat over there and went to sleep And he didn't even wake up When I'd stop and get gas And water the horses And so I thought Well you little son of a gun You know but but I wanted to get back up to, I wanted to get back to Yakima and so I just went ahead and drove but I was young then you know and I could I could take a lot of punishment and uh god now I've I, never be able to do it now
2: <laughs> yeah I'm sure you you kind of chuckle about it now but I'm sure you weren't chuckling at the time
1: yeah.
3: No sir, no sir. I was not. I was. I was terribly fatigued. And then when, <laughs> I, um, and then when right, I, I got to see the film, I was disappointed in the film. I said, "Well, that film isn't much." You know, I mean, I saw a lot more than that. And so they said, "Well, God dang! You know, you're you're making things kind of bad for us." And I said, "No, I'm not." I said, "I'm just telling it the way it is."
2: And as time they went by, you sort of got frozen out of the whole thing, did you not? hmm Absolutely.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, alienated away from everything, and uh, Roger and Al traveled with it and and showed it and did things and made money. And, and uh, I kept trying to get a hold of them, and they wouldn't return any calls or anything. They had an office there in Yakima, and I'd go up there and I'd say, Hey, have them get a hold of me, you know. they were traveling through the United States, uh, through somewhere in the uh, in the South or through the Midwest, showing the film, and making big bucks off of it. Well, wow. I, I thought I was I was entitled to some of that money, but never did happen because uh, Al Attlee was managing it, and, and uh, they actually had a guy down in Arkansas somewhere, I think it was Little Rock, that they were showing the film, and they had a guy get up and say, I'm Bob Gimlin. Uh, He was about my size and uh, looked somewhat like I did at that time. And, uh, uh, And so a guy that I knew that I rode horses for was a timber faller from here in Yakima. And he was back... He had a widowmaker had hit him, and he was going down to back down into Arkansas to recover from that. And he went, he he seen that they were advertising that I would be there, so he wanted to see me, and, and make sure you know, and just talk to me. So he paid his money to go in and see the film. And the guy got up and said, "I'm Bob Gimlin." He said, "Hey, you're a goddamn liar." He said. I know Bob Gimlin, you're not Bob Gimlin. And the security, they had the security throw him out. Wow. <laughs> and he he called
2: That's me and told me boring. that.
3: <laughs> That's
2: just mind boggling. Do, do you do recall, Bob, did you ever get a reason why Al B. Attlee wanted you sort of frozen out of things?
3: What, again, say that again, Thomas.
2: Do you uh, have any idea uh, now the time's gone by why the late Al Diatley wanted you frozen out of things?
3: I uh, assumed it was well, mostly his was, Well, yes, it was. Uh, uh, he, he didn't want to share any money with anybody, you know, and he didn't want he didn't want anybody to know about me as much as uh, because I tell the truth and and he tell a big lie about everything.
2: Hmm. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And, uh, boy, did they ever uh, go on for a long time. Was there not a period of time where uh, you
3: kind of, like, just tried to distance yourself from the whole matter? Absolutely. I finally just gave up and said, hey, leave me alone.
1: Wow.
2: And how long did that last for, Bob?
3: Mm -hmm. Oh, I, You know, it didn't last because uh, it kept coming back, and they kept wanting to know why I wasn't involved with all the money-making stuff. And I said, well, I wasn't allowed to even know what was going on because they'd travel all over the country uh, secretly. Uh, well, not secretly, but I had a job. I had to stay working all the time, you know, and I couldn't just quit my job and follow them around through the country, through the United States. I understand so I that. Just, so I just kind of let it go, you know.
2: Uh, yeah, because there was no sh- As a matter of fact, when uh, you, myself, John Green, Dmitry Baranoff, and all that drove down to Northern California for the summit in 2003, as I understand it, That was the first
3: time that you had ever been back to the film site since that day, correct? Absolutely, Thomas. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I I just never had the time. I was always busy working. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. When man man has to earn a living, you just can't take time off to go trancing around all over the place. That's kind of of like when I was... Well, Roger, the day you said, sure, Roger, I'll go to California with you.
3: Yeah. Well, see, Thomas, uh, I was riding a lot of Colts. At the same time, I had a steady job, and I was riding a lot of Colts for people. And so I I was busy, you know, uh, on any off time I had and weekends. Well, I was riding these Colts every day after I'd get off work. And uh, uh, so, uh, just trying to make a living.
2: I understand, and it's been a hell of a ride. And I think we gotta give a special shout out to a certain lady named Judy.
3: We had to well, up with a lot. Really <laughs> do. You know, Judy <laughs> took an awful lot of flack over this. In fact, she used to come home and bawling and. They'd come. She was a teller at the Savings and Loan Institution, and she worked on the line. And they'd come in, and they'd harass her at work. Well, not really harass her, because she, but, you know, they'd make smart remarks about it. And uh, she'd come home and say, I wish you would have never been involved. I said, well, I wish I wouldn't have been too, but it's too late. But mm. they they give me they different ones that give me a bad time, and I just I just shrug it off and say, "The heck with it," you know. Mm-hmm. wasn't quite that nice wasn't quite that nice about it.
2: Mm. No, Julie,
3: do you have any questions?
1: Well, yeah, I mean that the whole thing is just mind boggling when you think about um, Bob that you. You're the one that spent the money, you know, took the time to take him there and all that, and, and then you got treated like that. That's that that's not very, that's not very nice. Um, well,
3: no, it wasn't very nice. But that was, uh, you know, Al Atley was telling Roger what to do and when to do it, and how to do it, and he was interested in money and money only. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it definitely anyway. sounds
1: like that. Um, Bob, I want to ask you, before you actually turned that corner and saw that creature standing there, did you believe that they existed?
3: No, sir, I did not. And and I, the first thought I had in my mind, by golly, they do exist. Wow. You know, there was there was some thought about the expedition in 55 and 56 down there, which when, uh, 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 oh, God, I lost track of Tom. When uh, Tom Slick put on the expedition, uh, the multimillionaire, Texas millionaire, and, and died in his own plane. And, and uh,
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know, and I thought about that a lot and, and thought, well, they were on to something because because uh, uh, there was quite a bunch of those guys down there that Tom Slick had in that same area looking, and Reese, uh, you know, Bob Titmus and uh, Renee Duhandon and and uh, oh, a number of guys that was on the payroll until Bob Slick died in his own plane, Tom Slick died in his own plane, and then the money came. Quit, so they quit the expedition in 55 and 56.
1: Wow.
2: Actually, I think that slick expedition was more 58, 59. Yeah.
3: Well, it probably was, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Yeah, yeah. You know,
3: uh, it <laughs>
2: That was a long time ago now. Uh, it seems like yesterday, but it was a long time ago now.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, it does, Thomas.
0: But yeah,
2: sure enough, does. Yes, it sure does. And I bet you, it, it just seems like going by like a, like a snap of the finger. But uh, when you remember back, Bob, I just uh, want to say it was, so, it was so great the way you've come through and uh, opened up to the when people want to know more information. And now uh, you stood tall with all these uh, people who come out with these wild, wacky theories, and you know which mm-hmm. one I'm talking about coming out now. Uh, oh and, uh, boy, do I ever! Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yep. uh, you, you maintained it, my friend, with dignity, and uh, that's all I have to say to you. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you
3: very much, Thomas. Thank you much, because. Uh, Uh, You and I have known each other for a long time, Thomas, and we've had a good friendship. So uh, uh, I appreciate your talking to me about this thing. And uh, this guy, I won't mention his name. He's still bringing up uh, that I I shot and killed a bunch of them down there. And this guy's a real nut. Uh, You know who I'm talking about. I won't mention Mm -hmm. his name. Uh, he'll he'll say anything to get a little notoriety, and uh, wow. I, and I I don't know why he hangs on to the fact that I shot and killed him. and uh, and and because because I mentioned the backhoe way up on the mountain to pull the truck, he thinks that it was able to uh, to get a backhoe down in there and bury them all, and, oh, and for there's never been. I know it. it. It's so bizarre that it's. It, it, it just makes me sick to hear him talk about it. But uh, anyway, the guys are Looney Tunes.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, agree unfortunately,
3: with that. he's not the only one.
2: There are other people we won't mention that are pushing <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely,
3: mm-hmm. Todd. Totally. <laughs>
1: Well, that I'll tell you what, that your story is very intriguing, especially when uh, you hear it directly from you. Now, back in 2015, I was at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference where you were at, and um, you told your story, but you put in some details today that I've never heard you talk about. Um, so that was very informative for me. And especially about the backhoe situation, and, you know, some people may be under the false impression that, you know, you guys just kind of was roaming around and just happened to bump into this Bigfoot and, you know, filmed it and then left the film site, and it took you maybe an hour to ride out of there, and it's just there's so much to oh the God. the background of all this, and um, oh, um it's just amazing.
3: Oh, my goodness, uh, if they'd only known what happened with the rainstorm and everything and uh, uh, how the creek rose up so fast, if they would just even had some kind of idea what I went through that day to get out of there, uh, you know, it was a nightmare to even try to drive out of there and get, you know, and deadhead my pickup or my truck with a back hole up the side of Onion Mountain uh, and on top where they was building a new road how it was sliding away as I was driving a, a, along the hill, along the crest of the mountain uh, on a new road, a new dirt road and the whole side of the mountain was sliding away as I was pulling down on the outside wow. dual. So, you know, nobody understands anything about that kind of deal, because it's 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 hard to even visualize uh, what really did happen there that day.
1: You know, that sounds like somebody should pick this up and make a movie out of it.
3: <laughs> well, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, let's do that, guys. I know a particular person <laughs> that might be able to pull some strings for that. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, I think you might know them too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, I know. I know
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that would make one hell of a movie, I'm telling you. Especially the part where the, the side of the mountain's sliding off and you're trying to get out of there, that would be some some awesome oh, effect.
3: Boy. Yes, sir. And
1: But, I'll, you know, tell I'll you tell what. you, it's um gosh, You've told your story so many times, and, and people still, they love hearing. Every time you tell it, they want to hear it over and over because um, you guys did something that nobody else has been able to do, and that's actually film it, walking away, turning around, looking. I mean, it's just, um, you know, a lot of people to this day, Still believe that that is, is not a, a a real Sasquatch. And what do you say to the people that are are naysayers on that?
3: Well, I'd say you have to be there, say it to believe it, all of it. And you can believe mm-hmm. part of it, but but you can't visualize what went on uh, between. The camera, Roger, and me at the time that we first saw it—it's—it's uh, there's no way that that person can even understand the feeling and what really happened there that day.
1: Mm, amazing. Well, Thomas, did you have anything else or?
2: Well yes of course uh I'm just wondering how uh, if bob if 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 it still bothers him to this day the the way he's been treated over the years or, or does he feel better about it all now or uh, uh, do you still find a, a little bit of bitterness in there bob
3: Well I tried to bury all of that I figured it's not getting me anywhere so mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. you know, it's a sad memory. It's just a sad, sad memory, and uh, a little bit of bitterness, but not not too much because I've kind of went past that, and I'm an old man now. So uh, I gotta forgive and
1: forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Oh well I'll tell you what this much my friend, you're leaving one hell of a legacy.
1: Isn't he though? Well thank you. Thank you. Just uh, very interesting well, that um you know, that you here you were a non believer. You turn that corner and boom your whole life changes forever. So
3: Absolutely fascinating. My whole life changed. it it changed in the most of it for the worst.
1: Right. <laughs>
3: but I've kind, of, I've kind of forgiven, you know, and letting things go a little bit because, uh, God, I'm almost 90 years old, you see. So, so uh, it's time to make a change.
1: Right. So... I think actually Bob, I think the, the last laugh is on them because um you're the one that's been able to make some really good friends through all of this and a lot of people care about you so you know, you you're the one that came out on top on this thing, so
3: Well I and I appreciate that so much. I really do and I wanna thank everybody that, that sucks with me, stuck with me for for the years, all these years and everything. And you guys that believe in me and and want to hear what went on, I, I appreciate that. Absolutely.
1: I just hope you never get
2: tired of talking about it, Bob.
1: Yeah.
3: Okay. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Bob. Um, amazing. And that that just okay. made my whole um, podcast career is having Steenberg and and Gemlin on the same show. My head is just like exploding oh, right now.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Uh, Thomas, um, this has been great. How would, You want to go ahead and close down the show?
2: Well, that, I was just want to like to uh, shout out to my friend Bob Giblin and uh, thank him again for coming on uh, Julie's 20th show. We wanted to do something special for the 20th show, and I can't think of any way to top than having Bob on.
1: Thank
2: you Thank you Absolutely
1: much. And I want to thank all of our listeners uh, For tuning in And all the, the really good feedback I've received from you all And Thomas and I really appreciate you And we will be back again next month With another episode of Talking Old Timers with Thomas Thank you for joining us
2: It doesn't mean we're old Bob <laughs> Okay
3: Thank you